the relationship between athletes and cannabis has long been decried for its perceived negative association. Thankfully, that misconception is being reshaped as athletes are now experiencing a certain form of liberation, one which has inspired them to move from the shadows and serve as advocates for the medicine that they deem so vital. These stories are worthy of greater attention and will serve to help augment the discourse around medicinal cannabis. The cannabis culture and sport deserves to be celebrated, not maligned. And these conversations will move us in that direction. Welcome to Winning with Cannabis with your host, Bill Bronner. Welcome to Winning with Cannabis. This is your host, Bill Bronner. Pleased to uh, be joined by a guest that I've, uh, I've known about now for quite a while, and I'm thrilled to finally have him on our show. And that is none other than pro skater David Hastinson. Uh, David, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Um, excited to be here, talk about um, a little bit of the road to recovery. Absolutely. I'm really energized uh, to kind of have your participation on the program. And it's largely because not only do I find your story extremely compelling, but over the course of our season, we've been fixated almost principally on athletes within the mainstream sphere. Your sport of snowboarding lies a little bit more on the fringe of mainstream, but is certainly deserved of a, of a much larger voice and uh, I think a greater sense of awareness from, from the masses. So happy to kind of jump into that conversation because I myself, I'm, I'm not nearly as fluent in that particular sport as I am others. So I'm looking forward to kind of learning along with, with everyone else. So starting from kind of square one, I know your background is unique on multiple different levels, namely in that you, um, you're Icelandic in origin. When did you and your family uh, migrate here to the U.S.? Yeah, I, I am Icelandic. It was kind of a crazy time. We we arrived, I think it was uh, eight days before 9-11 in 2001. So that was a big shock. Only been here for a few days, and that was kind of my first impression of America. Really scary, a lot bigger than Iceland. Iceland's population is I don't think it's over 400,000 people. You know, it's it's a, it's a small, small country. If you don't mind me asking, David, what, what prompted the move? Is it just simply a desire for a change of scenery or did something, was there some sort of driving force to, uh, to move the U.S.? It was mainly my mother. She had been doing pretty well in her career with the, in the cosmic, the cosmic industry with uh, doing freelance for skincare companies and makeup companies and different uh, different uh, companies, right? So she had the opportunity to move out here with her husband at the time. You know, not a lot of people get out of Iceland. So she took the opportunity and yeah, this, this is kind of how it started. So David, to clarify, your, your family moved from Reykjavik to Las Vegas uh, when you're roughly 12 years old? Yes. And then that, that's where your skating career started to really evolve? Right. You know, it, it rains a lot in Iceland. So uh, there wasn't, there isn't much skateboarding back then. So this was, you know, early 2001, 2002. Skating has evolved a lot in Iceland since then. But when I had moved out, out to Las Vegas, everybody was doing it. Um, whether it was on a scooter or a skateboard, that's kind of how I was drawn to it. It was, it was popular and it wasn't until 
a few years, maybe after about two or three years of skateboarding, I had uh, become sponsored by a uh, Fused Incorporated, which was Mountain Dew at the time. They had a, uh, it was called Amforce. They would pick out different skaters from different areas and essentially sponsor them and get them going with uh, their career. And that's what, that was kind of the beginning of it. Um, I was also, also had at the time gotten sponsored by a uh, skate shop called Pharmacy Board Shop. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of, of uh, my skate career. But I've kind of uh, looked at my skate career a little bit differently because um, there's, there's a lot of injuries that come along with skateboarding. Yeah, it, so, it's funny because it's um, that's obviously occurred to me that the more research I've done about the skateboarding industry at large, I don't think uh, just the, the public in general has enough appreciation for how physically demanding the sport is and what the type of injuries that are incurred as part of the consequences of, you know, trying out new tricks and always, you know, uh, as a, any great skateboarder is going to achieve something is always kind of pushing the envelope to get better and to um, you know kind of advance their skills and yet yeah, it, it is super super serious sport with some at times really negative outcomes um, and I, I know those negative outcomes are probably um, more aligned with your career than most so did, did you start um, you know suffering a lot of injuries in your in your youth in your 20s no you know it really all started in my teens the first time I broke my ankle, I was uh, 13 years old. You know, times were different back then. There was there weren't as many alternative solutions as there um, are today. Was it uh, obviously that was the, your initial injury? I guess one of the most severe ones that you had up until that point of your career. Uh, I imagine that it was a continuous kind of condition of just always kind of being nicked up. Um, you know, always obviously being compelled as a skater uh, and having the pressure of sponsors to continue to evolve. What sort of experience was that? Was it a, a fairly constant, um, you know, period of just getting injured, trying to recover, getting injured, time, kind of that cycle ongoing? Typically, when I would get injured, I would keep it quiet. There's a stigma with it, just like in any sport, when, uh, when a player is injured, um, you know, they're, they're kind of out of the scene. Skateboarding has such a big subculture inside of it. You're looked at as one of the top guys, and you're getting injured all the time. It's not it's not that good of a look. So it does it does uh, impact the career as well, not just on the skating side, but also in the uh, pop culture side. Sounds like there's a lot of external pressures, you know, from from sponsors, from from viewers, uh, from, you know, maintaining a certain level of relevance if you're not on the scene for a while, um, you know, despite the fact that you're excellent at what you do, uh, you know, there might be someone else who can kind of absorb that space that, that you vacated for a while since you're kind of on the sidelines, that type of thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, sk skating, skating is an art form. As much as it's, you know, it's going to be in the Olympics this year, as much as it's become a sport, it's uh, you know it's still viewed uh, by skaters as a, as an art form. Um, sometimes it's not how many times you do it, but uh, the way you do it, kind of like I hate to say, it, but kind of like uh, 
when they're judging ballerinas, right? Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. Uh, some some women or men when they they dance they have more style than the person that went before them, but the person that went before them executed all the the moves perfectly. They didn't have enough grace with them, so uh, that that's that becomes judged a lot in skateboarding. It's not what you did; it's how you did it. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. That's a really smart analogy. I've never really looked at uh, at the sport at large, kind of through those glasses, in terms of um, you know the, the comparisons to, to performance art, which ballet ultimately is. But uh, there are some some striking similarities. We got to take a really quick break um, for a commercial, and then we're going to pick right up where we left off. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. It's time to Hemp Resent. I am going to titillate your audio orifices with weekly radio rendezvous with some of the premier movers, shakers, and history makers of the cannabis community. Radio resident Hempo Sapien Vivian McPeak. I will be putting out a call to action on the issues of the day and putting your interests under the big lights as I provide cannabis commentary and weekly interviews that go straight for the nugular. Marijuana! Hemp Resents, only on Cannabis Radio. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots and close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with the Plant Profits. Welcome to another episode of Plant Profits. I am Bert Miller, your host. As you guys know, the purpose of this show is to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. Plant Profits, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. So, David, we were discussing, um, I guess, you know, people's misperceptions of the sport and uh, you very wisely you know, kind of drew attention to kind of the notion of, of looking at the sport as an art form, art form very much in the same way people would view uh, a ballet performance. And, and, I, and I love that. And I've always uh, I've found this, this sport to be extremely compelling. Um, I'm really a minority, but... Um, I, I really like that analogy. Uh, before then, you were talking a little bit about your career and how the fact that it was injury riddled. And I imagine 
your situation wasn't too different from a lot of the other folks who were kind of in the in the top tier of the sport and who were struggling mightily with you know concealing their injuries for fear of you know potentially being irrelevant um how did you cope with those injuries knowing how severe they had become over time and i know that you kind of reached somewhat of a tipping point no i had i had a lot of injuries and um with having a lot of injuries comes uh pain management right so um at a very very young age i was prescribed uh painkillers and uh you know back then we didn't know how how the pills would affect me and um so you know as time went on and i got injured went back on the medication you know kept doing painkillers uh kind of created created uh, an addiction inside of myself um and that's really how i how i managed it uh all up until about four years ago when um i had stopped using the painkillers and started looking for alternative ways to heal i've got a question for you david um knowing how involved your your parents were specifically your mom in your career, were did they have any direct awareness of this kind of growing addiction that you were developing, or were you able to disguise it from them? Um, you know, for a while, I was able to disguise it, um, and then you know, with pretty much any any addiction, you know, things got out of hand. Um, yeah things got out of hand and um I wasn't wasn't able to disguise it from anybody. What was your what was your rock bottom? Um my rock bottom uh it's it's pretty bad. I mean I pretty much was homeless. Um lost my job. Uh I had quit skating. Um, I pretty much had lost everything. So on, on a more positive note, you know, putting that behind you in the way that you did, I'm curious to know exactly, and I'm sure it was an integrated effort, you know, family, friends, and everyone helped kind of pull you out of the quote unquote ditch and helped kind of revive your life. But uh, who was, was your mom particularly really instrumental in helping you find a new path and um, allowing your body to heal and effectively ridding yourself of the addiction? Well, um, she was later on. I mean, she always was. Um, but at, at this time, you know, it was, uh, it was mainly my, my wife and, you know, uh, I, what was it? Maybe, after being clean and sober for three months, um, you know, uh, we found out that we were going to be expecting a boy and, um, you know, he, 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 you know, I've, I've been off of, let's see, he's three and a half now. So we've been clean for almost four years and, uh, you know, he, he, uh, they have helped me a lot, but as far as, uh, you know, there, there's kind of, there's kind of two, two sides to being, to being uh, an addict and being sober. There's the mental support and then there's the support 
of, uh, you know, food and medicine and exercise. Right. And, uh, my mom, she, she hadn't started, uh, the CBD company yet, um, with, uh, Chris Reventish and, um, everyone who was involved with starting the, the company. Um, it wasn't until maybe two, a year and a half into my sobriety that, uh, she had started this venture. And, uh, you know, during that time I was relying on ibuprofen and, uh, um, you know, Advil and Venusetamine to cope with the pain, you know, because I had started skating a lot harder, um, started taking my career seriously, and then changed once um, Canna Hemp was developed. So your your, your mom, well, first off, on a uh, kind of more sensitive note, I'm I'm absolutely overjoyed that we're able to shift the tide, so to speak, in the way that you have. And it's a huge credit to you and the, the close circle of people um, that uh, I'm sure flooded you, flooded you with love and compassion. And I'm a father as well. It goes without saying the you know prospect of being a parent and the kind of great scope of responsibility that one has to, has to assume when being a parent is a major motivational force to um, you know discover the best in you because obviously your children, as you well know, require the best version of you. So I uh, applaud you for having the, the strength to um, survive addiction is, uh, all goes without saying it, it can, it can suffer the most well-intended people. Uh, so yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, things, thing, uh, things got a lot easier, uh, to deal with. Um, once I discovered CBD, that was really the turning point in my, uh, recovery. Um, and, so, your, and your, and your mom was the entry point into that world. Yeah. Yeah. Prior, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. Prior to that, had you been using cannabis, I guess, just recreationally, but never maybe fully understanding the medical benefits? Is that safe to say? No, I uh, I didn't use cannabis at all. Okay. Um, not while I was uh, after the point where I got sober. Um, I, I had I hadn't used it for about two or three years. I mean, yeah, granted when I was younger, I would, uh, I would smoke pot, but, um, you know, never for the medicinal values. Mm -hmm. so, so your mom was obviously really influential into kind of opening up your door to the medicinal values of the plant. Um, go from there. Tell me a little bit about that journey and how the, the company was formed, your, your role in it, and your kind of awakening into, uh, you know, having a, a, you know, not only a firm understanding, but being an outspoken advocate for that has allowed you kind of to get a new lease on life. Well, you know, at first, um, when the company was forming, um, you know, I was working my regular job, 
um, not in the cannabis industry. And, and, uh, you know, I, I was skeptical. I was like, Oh mom, like, why would you, why would you be working for a marijuana company? Like, and she, and she, you know, sat me down tried to explain it to me that, you know, it's, it's, it's CBD. It, um, doesn't get you high. So you can still get the medical medical benefits of the plant and not get high. She's like, imagine if all the people knew in drug rehabs that you could possibly not only get rid of withdrawals, but you could relieve pain without having a psychoactive experience. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the beginning of, you know, me waking up to the facts about um, the plant, right? So there's, there's, there's parts of the plants that get you high and there are parts of the plants that don't get you high. Were you still coping with withdrawal symptoms at that time? Or no, had, I would, uh-uh. so, so the addiction at that point was very much in your rearview mirror. Right. Yeah. Well... I mean, you know, just, just because the withdrawals are gone doesn't, doesn't mean that you don't crave it sometimes. Right. Um, it's natural to, to want to feel those feelings again. Right. Um, some time went on, um, she, you know, had educated me about the benefits and, um, I was intrigued. I said, Hey, you know, there are, you're right. There are thousands of people within hundreds of industries that don't want to get high, but they do want the benefits. I think of a construction worker or, um, you know, somebody that gets tested for uh, narcotics once a month or every couple of months. CBD is kind of a window where they can still ex- experience all the benefits without getting in trouble. Um, you know, I, initially I had thought that was, that's what the skate industry needs and the, the snowboard industry and, and the motocross industry. People don't have to re- rely on opiates and, and uh, narcotics to to heal from their in- injuries. Um, I couldn't agree with you how- more, David. I'm sorry to interrupt you. We have to take a real brief commercial break and we'll, we'll pick up directly where we left off. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. 
fetch your earbuds, and stay tuned for some pure pet care conversation. Hi, it's Angela Ardolino with It's a Dog's Life, and I have Hernanda Umana joining me. We're just both so fascinated with how much we've learned since we've been in this pet industry and creating an all-natural product. Because it's a dog's life. I am a huge fan of my guest today, Dr. Bob Goldstein. I have, in my experience, not seen many natural substances produce the results that CBD is producing in the animals that we are testing on. It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. So, David, um, in our kind of the, the prior discussion, you were highlighting how pervasive opioid addiction is, and we, we know obviously in mainstream sports, but you know, highlight things like motocross, snowboarding, skateboarding, um, among many others. <clears throat> that is a particular area that I don't think doesn't get as much concentration as do other mainstream sports for obvious reasons, I think largely due to their lack of kind of mainstream popularity. Um, but it's something that I know is, is near and dear to you. And um, I know there's many other voices in that community that are starting to turn the volume up on that issue. And I can't help but think how empowered you must feel to have your company be playing a role in helping to reverse what you know can best be described as just this terrible trend that um, you know that is consuming so much of our of our world these days. Can you tell me a little bit about how you've been able to to make impacts, measurable ones in those communities, and um, yeah, what 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 can happen, and you and others are doing. And if you also don't mind, uh, if you can shed some light on your fairly recent association with, with Tony Hawk, a person who I know is a massive figurehead in that community. My main concern with uh, CBD was that, you know, kids, kids and parents were going to look at it as another drug. Um, by, by no means, you know, you, you have, if, there, there are a lot of kids out there, right? And skateboarding and these other, you know, cool recreational fun things to do, um, they, they come... Oh, man. Can I start over? Absolutely. Um, let, me, let me get my answer here straight. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say it's considered child's play because there are a lot of you know, older skaters, I'm, I'm 29. I love to do it. I'd rather be skateboarding than going to the gym. Right. It's, it's a great way to exercise, but it does attract kids. And, um, especially in the fashion world, um, has kind of been the, the threshold for streetwear. So there's a, there's a huge, appeal appealance to to kids with skateboarding and uh you know for 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 some time and for some years and you know there has been a uh kind of a nasty trend that you know drinking alcohol and smoking weed and 
doing drugs is, is cool. Um, and you know that there are, are a lot of uh, kids that are suffering from the opioid crisis. And uh, unfortunately, people are scratching their heads saying, hey, how, how are we going to help these, these kids? We can't just force them to do something. What's a better way to do it? Well, um, come up with a good idea to, to start a positive trend. And hey, CBD is a cool thing to do. Um, and by no means, it's not directed towards kids, but it's reshaping us, us older guys saying, hey, you know, smoking weed isn't cool. And taking prescription pills isn't cool. Drinking lean and promethazine isn't cool. Um, and this is kind of the cool thing to do. Well, it's a cream. Okay, we made a cream um, to help with aches and pains. Um, during the time that we launched the cream, um, we, you know, obviously started sponsoring and, and giving out... Um, cream for people to try and um it, it started going around um kind of like a new thing it really hadn't been done we uh collaborated um canna hempex with uh a big skateboarding company called grizzly grip tape and we launched a cream not to aim it towards kids at all but to sh show them that, hey, this is what we're doing to, deal to dealing with our pain. Um, and it doesn't involve smoking. It doesn't involve getting high. And uh, there wasn't really anything out there in the skate industry or the streetwear industry that was highlighting this issue. Um, when, after a few months of it being out, um, it started catching wind of some of the, some of these bigger athletes. Um, uh, the recovery side of, um, my story and, uh, the fact that I had the opportunity to create a product within infused manufacturing, um, in 1933 industries, um, you know, became my job. And, um, um, so at this point I had, uh, um, I had been employed by the company. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I thought it would be a great idea to, to try to get it to someone like Tony Hawk or that, that could kind of, uh, shed a bigger light than I could. Right. Um, and that, that was, that was my main goal is, is not to, to make it cool or to, to show different ways to heal, but to really shine a light on the opioid crisis. Um, I almost lost my life to it. And, um, I don't, I don't, I don't see, I don't see as much being, you know, I don't see that much being done to try to stop this epidemic. 
Yeah, well, it's it's, uh, it's quite clear that the scope of the problem is so massive, but it's heartening to know that there's people such as you who are devoted to being part of the solution. So it's a, certainly a credit to you, Tony, and I'm sure a whole host of others who are kind of on the front lines of the community that you're in who are willing to, um, you know, educate people, elevate awareness, and ensure that the next generations that are uh, going to pick up where you left off are able to do things differently and avoid some of the pitfalls like you called attention to before. So it's a really, really uplifting story um, and, you know, stirred me up very emotionally. Um, and I really appreciate, appreciate you coming off the, uh, on the program, David. You're a very genuine human being and um, I'm sure all of our listeners uh, really enjoyed your kind of just an inspiring um, story. So thank you so much. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.